now is going to face Brad Miller, making his first Philly start in left field here today. A high fly ball to deep right field. Ramirez going back. It is gone! Into the second deck, Brad Miller with his third home run of the year. He's given the Phillies a 3-1 lead. And hello and welcome to this edition of Phillies Talk. It's the Phillies Talk podcast talking all about the Philadelphia Phillies on the longest independent running show just about the Phillies. And how you doing, everyone? My name is Rich, and I'm joined again by Mr. Matt Veazey. How you doing, Matt? Hey, Rich. Good evening. How are you? Not bad. Not bad. And we're uh, waiting for a game to start as we're doing this podcast here to Phillies in Detroit. Uh, taking on the Tigers, a little interleague play. And uh, what's your take on interleague play? I know uh, Phillies have been uh, had some series already this year, but uh, are you still with the interleague or are you over it by now? Um, uh, yeah, I'm an old head purist, Rich. So, you know, I was against interleague when they started it, but it, it's been we've been dealing with it now for over 20 years. So, uh, there are, you know, a lot of young fans who don't know anything different. You know, you and people like you and I, you know, we lived 30 years, you know, we enjoyed the game for a quarter of a century or more without interleague play where it was the all-star game in the world series. That was the only time you saw the, you know, face each other in uh, the American leaguers. So uh, I'm fine with it. it. It is what it is. And, um, I, I would like to see them have the, I like the uniqueness of the Phillies are going into Detroit and they get to use the designated hitter or have to use the designated hitter and say when the Tigers came here at the end of April, vice versa, you know, they couldn't use the the DH. But uh, I, I kind of like the, the different rules and uniqueness. But uh, I, if we're going to have it, then I'd just as soon see just get rid of the whole idea of two leagues. You know, if you're going to have this, you may as well just make it Major League Baseball, you know, and and whack the whole thing up uh, better geographically, in my opinion. Yeah, it's interesting. It seems like uh, our current commissioner uh, would like to do that. He seems to have a lot of uh, plans for change with the game. We'll have to see if uh, one day, someday down the road that happens. But uh, Phillies in Detroit taking on a uh, kind of a bad Tigers team. And I had written on my blog over at fightingphillies.com that, you know, if there was ever a series where the Phillies would probably should win, it would probably be this series. But we both know that that's a little bit harder than when you say it. Sure. Uh, just like you, I had to, for Phillies Nation, at philliesnation.com and both at uh, – Twitter and Facebook were at Phillies Nation, but I had to do the game preview today. We do a game day story before every game, and it was my responsibility tonight. And then also, before every series, uh, I do a series opposition preview where I specifically look at the opposing team and the pitchers, the, the key hitters for the team, and any key statistics, that type of thing. And when I broke down the series and then when we got a little closer to game time and actually wrote specifically about tonight's preview, I, I said the same thing you just said. I think this, this really has to be a sweep for the Phillies. There's no other way to look at it. This is the, 
team with the next to last um, worst record in baseball in the Detroit Tigers. They're just percentage points better than the Baltimore Orioles, who have been horrendous all season. So that means the Tigers have been horrendous as well. They have a worse record at home than they actually have on the road, the Tigers do. And if you look at their statistical breakdown, other than tonight's star pitcher, who I guess we'll talk about in a few minutes, but uh, other than him, they really don't have a lot going for them. Their top starting pitcher and their top hitter, Nick Castellanos, playing in the outfield nowadays, they're really the only major threats that this team has. So the, the Phillies, while they may be a middle-of-the-road team right now, production-wise, uh, if they want to stay in this wild-card hunt, this is the kind of team they need to sweep. Absolutely, and if they don't, something's wrong. I'm, I'm just checking the projections for the rest of the year with the Tigers, um, and with the 90% confidence, this is a computer module, they say the Tigers will lose 101 games this year. <laughs> so they're that's not, the they're best. They're not good, Rich. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the best case scenario. Now, the worst case scenario with a 90% confidence run, they're going to lose 113 games. So that goes to show you the kind of team that the Phils are playing tonight and uh, throughout this series. We watched them in Pittsburgh a little bit. They sort of sputtered, seesawed back and forth like they had been. And, you know, that's another team that maybe the Phillies should have handled. They've got a little bit better record than the uh, Tigers do. But, you know, certainly I thought the Phillies should have went in there and made a statement. But this team so far has not done that. Well, they, they won two out of three. So let's give them that credit. They won two out of three. The Pirates are, the Pirates do have some talent. They have more talent than the Tigers do. They're... It isn't saying much, but they're a much better team than the Tigers are. Um, this this Tigers team is really poor, and uh, the problem that the Phillies have with the you know we, we can never expect anything in baseball. As poor as they are, they've won like three dozen games. The Tigers over the course of the the first little more than first half of the season, and they will have in this opener their top starting pitcher on the mound in Matthew Boyd, who's in the prime of his career. To, 28-year-old left-hander, uh, he's the best that they have, and he's pitched well this year. He's a big strikeout guy, so uh, there's every possibility. We know how the Phillies' offense is. It's Jekyll and Hyde. So if the poor-hitting Phillies' offense shows up, Matthew Boyd's the kind of pitcher who can really hold them down, and that, that can make it tough to win, even with Aaron Nola on the mound. Yeah, we'll have to see what happens. Of course, uh, it's a rain-delayed start there in Detroit. Hopefully, as you said, uh, doesn't look too bad. But you're actually tweeting this game as well, live tweeting it for Phillies Nation. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about that? That sounds like an interesting uh, assignment to have for you know a Twitter feed like Phillies Nation. Sure, we have a staff of. I guess you know it depends on who's active uh, at any given time. But staff of about eight or nine, maybe ten. Uh, people right now at Phillies Nation, and we whack up the responsibility of doing a pre-game story, a post-game story, and uh, live tweeting the game. So we're actually at the Phillies Nation feed on Twitter, which is, you can if you go to Twitter, if you're on Twitter, you can find it at Phillies Nation. 
And we, like I said, we whack up that responsibility. We can get a monthly assignment sheet. It basically tells you which games you're going to be scheduled to live tweet. Now, tonight I actually wasn't supposed to. I think I had uh, maybe the pregame story, but turned out the person who had the original responsibility couldn't do it. And that happens all the time where we're looking for people to pick up each other. And so I, I really didn't have a lot to do tonight, so I picked it up. So I actually have a... I have a trifecta tonight. I did the pregame game day story, um, live tweeting the game at Phillies Nation, and also be uh, putting out the postgame wrap-up after the game's over. So uh, I got myself a night tonight once I get going. Yes, you do. It sounds like a lot of responsibility. It's really not. Yeah, you know, it's not like uh, I'm not. It's not like I'm T Mac, you know, or uh, Scott Fransky. You know, we're, we're not. We're not constantly, you know, having to talk about every pitch and every every play. Uh, what we try to put out is maybe a couple of tidbits here and there during the game, interesting stats or or items that come to pass. We'll share some of our recent articles and you know throw that all in among the highlights. When a run scores, when there is a big play, when there's uh, a home run, certainly, and of course the start and end of the game. You know, we'll we'll put that in there. Sometimes we'll do a scoreboard update where we try to keep fans updated on what else is going on among the contenders in the division and in the wild card race. So, you know, we try to try to get a nice flavor of what's going on during the game for anybody who maybe can't listen to it or or is uh, can't watch it or for whatever other reason is just following it, you know, on the web. Um, you know, it's another way, you know, for fans to stay connected and updated and. Uh, once in a while, we're inter- we'll interact. You know, if a fan has a comment or you know has a, uh, something that they want to discuss. You know, we'll do that during the game as well. Very cool. So head on over there to Twitter if you're on Twitter. Follow Matt over there at Phillies Nation. He'll be uh, tweeting uh, tonight's game, and he tweets a lot of games as well as writes articles for Phillies Nation. And while you're at it, if you haven't already did it, hit the follow button on there for them and head on over to fight and Philly's Twitter feed as well. That's staffed by myself. I'll get into the games usually, uh, when I can and, uh, send some tweets out. So it's always fun interacting with the, uh, crowd out there on Twitter. And, uh, Matt, we, we had a nice ceremony over the weekend in, uh, New York, Cooperstown, New York there. Uh, Roy Halladay, ex-Philly and ex-Blue Jay, among others, uh, into the Hall of Fame. And what a great accomplishment that is for him. Sure. Uh, Very popular and for good reason. Uh, Philly's Wall of Famer. And now he's uh, enshrined um, immortal among the immortals at town in the Hall of Fame. Well-deserved, you know, won a Cy Young in both leagues, uh, had the playoff no-hitter, which I was fortunate enough to attend, had the uh, perfect game. So he's a lot of things on his resume, and uh, congratulations to Doc. His wife, he did a just a fantastic job of uh, making the presentation, you know, accepting the plaque and making the presentation speech on behalf of Roy. So a uh, nice day for the Halliday family, bittersweet day. Yes, indeed. He was probably one of my favorite pitchers uh, of the last few years when he was with the Phillies. I used to go up and uh, catch his games 
I caught his last game at Citizens Bank Park. I remember taking a lot of pictures of that. And, uh, yeah, Doc will be remembered for a long time with Phillies fans, with the success that they had um, throughout the, uh, you know, good years that they had. And arguably one of the better times in Phillies history. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a shame. Well, you know, we were all here, so we all know. And I don't want to I don't want to really um, relive this one too too long. But it's a shame what happened in that game five. You know, in 2011, the NLDS. I uh, was Doc faced off against his good friend Chris Carpenter of the Cardinals, and they put on a pitching clinic. You know, it was a it was a showdown between two. You know veteran gunslingers and it was everything that you could have you know you know anything you could hope for in watching that type of pressure decisive game uh, the two of them just uh, were unrelenting and it was really just you know that one crack that doc had and carpenter didn't crack and the cardinals beat the phillies in the fifth game and went on and won the world series and that was the year that the Phillies had won 102 games and set a franchise record. They had the four aces going and uh, every, you know, the, the people from 2008, the offensive lineup, the core of Rollins and Howard and Utley, Victorino, those guys were all still together, uh, Chooch, and it, you know, everything looked like it was set up for, you know, another World Series uh, trophy for Philadelphia. But, you know, Chris Carpenter put the kibosh on that, and it's a shame. You know, it's uh, how they pitched his his you know what off in that that game, and it just it all came to naught because the offense couldn't get to Carpenter. But uh, Doc left us a lot of uh, great memories here, and and uh, it's a shame that he we couldn't get that World Series. You know, it's a shame that the hitters couldn't come through for him on that day, because uh, Doc never did win a World Series, and that's probably the one thing that's missed from his resume but uh, he's a wall he's a hall of famer now and a wall of famer yes he is and uh if you're a reader of fightingphillies.com you probably read my article i wrote uh on hall of fame day i was very upset at at how roy halliday passed away uh the problems that he got into after his career ended it just seemed like such a stand-up guy and to read you know certain things what happened with his life and and how it ended just kind of made me a little bit angry. I, I hated to see that kind of an end to a person like that. Yeah, it's a tough subject, Rich. You know, um, I've had it, it was pretty well known uh, in the aftermath, not well known among the public. Those of us. You, know, you, me, uh, really, even even most of the reporters that followed the team, uh, nobody really knew that in the aftermath of his retirement, the back problems that he had and uh, his eventual turning to painkillers and other drugs to help him sleep and, uh, to get through that that issue. Plus, uh, you know, then it ultimately came out both in the famous Sports Illustrated article now and other pieces after that that. You know, Doc had actually dealt with uh, depression during the course of his adult life. So it's, uh, you know, to speculate on what actually happened. I mean, we, we know what happened as far as the plane crash. Uh, we don't know why 
they certainly found uh, drugs in his system at the time, amphetamines, uh, sleep med that most people would know as Ambien, uh, morphine, uh, um, Prozac. I mean, you know, so yeah, he had a mix of drugs in his system. Now, you know, how much, how much that contributed to the crash, what actually happened, uh, what, you know, it could have been any one of four things, you know, it could have been mechanical failure. It could have been pilot error. He was pretty close, I believe, to getting some type of, uh, if I remember the reading, some type of expert level, uh, like a thousand flight hours or something like like that, uh, which would have lowered his, uh, his flight insurance, I believe. So, I think uh, the, what I remember, his father, who they called Big Roy, he was known as Little Roy in his family. Uh, Big Roy had pretty much told him, you know, kind of don't get cocky. You know, you're 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 really good, but you're not like an expert yet. So, uh, and I think Roy kind of, if you if you see some of the posts that he put out on social media, he had that kind of cavalier looked like looked like he had a little bit of a cavalier attitude about flying. Like he felt like he really was getting to an expert level. So I, I'm not not trying to turn this around on Roy right now because we don't know. Again, sure. mechanical failure, maybe some type of pilot error. It could have been a physical, some type of physical issue where maybe he he could have passed out. Maybe he was trying to maneuver that he'd done a dozen times and maybe the, you know, uh, his system couldn't take it at that time and he passed out. And at those speeds, you know, it doesn't take much to, you know, to not be able to recover in time. Uh, and then it could have been, you know, we hate to think about it, but it was actually discussed in the Sports Illustrated article that, uh, where, where they asked in that article, did he take his own life? And his father, uh, actually his father's comment was, I don't know. And then uh, his father finally decided that he didn't want to really look into or dig into the answers. You know, he it, it is what it is. You know, it happened and they just have to live with, you know, as it being, you know, one of those things and and try to remember the good good times you know because because we'll never know you know and that can torture you yeah and i'm i must have been living under a rock because i never read that article until uh sunday with the uh, hall of fame day and it, it all hit me at once i was like wow this is you know a revelation to me because i really didn't follow it that closely uh after the fact so uh halliday one of the best pitchers of the era um, 16 years in the MLB, uh, Cy Young award winner twice, finished uh, second also twice in the Cy Young race. So, yeah, definitely one of the best pitchers we've seen. Uh, lifetime record, 203 and 105. He just uh, went out there and uh, did his thing most of the time, Halliday. So, uh, again, you know, it was a great speech there. By his wife and uh, the other players also inducted into the hall this year, Edgar Martinez, uh, Mike Mussina, and Mariano Rivera with 100% of the ballots. Uh, first player to ever do that. That's a milestone in itself. Yeah, I, uh, you know, Mariano Rivera. Everybody, everybody knows about Mariano Rivera. Um, but the names that you mentioned, um, one name that that has a uh, my, personally has a place in my heart is Mike Bucina, and it's for has nothing at all to do 
with all the games that he won in Major League Baseball and all the good that he did with the Baltimore Orioles and New York Yankees, um, Mike Mussina, in his final start of his career, won for the first time in his career his 20th game of the season. He was a 20-game winner for the first time ever, uh, became that in his final start. And in that final start, it came on a Sunday afternoon. Mike Mussina just happened at that time to be on my fantasy baseball team. And I was in a head-to-head contest with another guy. And Mussina's effort actually was in, in conjunction on that same day with a great start by Tim Linscombe. But Mussina's start specifically put me over the top, and I... I won that game by a point. It was like a really narrow uh, thing in, in fantasy baseball to win that championship. And uh, so Mike Mussina has always been because of that fantasy baseball championship. And this is a league where I've participated with these guys in for more than two decades. So it's not like it was a one of these passing things or, or you know something you get into on a whim. So uh, Mike Mussina holds a special place in my heart. So God bless Hall of Famer. Oh, well worth it to me just because of my... <laughs> Fantasy Baseball Championship in 2008. That's an awesome story. Uh, Harold Baines also voted in by the uh, Veterans Committee, as well as Lee Smith voted in by the Veterans Committee there. And let's not forget Jason Stark, local writer. uh, Well worth it. He won that uh, the Ford Frick Award. And he he was uh, Jason Stark was also honored. So uh, congratulations to him. Yes, indeed. So some local connections there with uh, the Hall of Fame. And one more thing about Halliday, um, a little controversial, and Blue Jay fans were a little let down by this. Uh, Apparently, his wife selected no logo for her husband uh, as he went into the Hall of Fame. Of course, he was a longtime Blue Jay before he came to the Phillies, but I guess the Phillies sort of... uh, held a special place in his heart as well. Uh, she elected not to have either logo on the hat, and uh, maybe that was the right thing to do. Yeah, I mean, here in Philly, we most knowledgeable fans here in Philly, reasonable fans, understand that he spent 12 years in Toronto. You know, he was here for four years, we were, and they weren't even really four full seasons. So while we got a lot of highlights, uh, we got a tremendous... 2010 and 2011 season out of him. Won a Cy Young, won 21 games in 2010. 2011 probably should have won the Cy Young. Um, Our editorial director, Tim Kelly, did a nice piece at Phillies Nation in the last few days about uh, how how, how they probably should have won a second uh, NL Cy Young in 2011. But uh, also, you know, with the perfect game, with with the playoff no-hitter. He gave us uh, a lot here in Philadelphia, but as much as he gave us, he gave almost three times that to Toronto. He won an American League Cy Young with the Blue Jays. He was, um, I believe, a four- or five-time All-Star with the Blue Jays. He ended up winning 148 of his 203 games in a Blue Jays uniform, pitched 12 of his 16 years in a Blue Jays uniform, uh, that 2003 Cy Young. So, you know, 
I don't think anybody here in Philadelphia would have, while we would love to have seen him wear a Phillies cap on his Hall of Fame plaque, I don't think we would have begrudged it if he would have went into the Hall of Fame wearing a Blue Jays cap. Uh, we still would have embraced him here just as we we loved and embraced Jim Tomei going in. You have to acknowledge that Jim Tomei was a Cleveland Indian. He played for the Cleveland Indians a lot more than he played for the Philadelphia Phillies. But for his for Brandy and from what I understand in her speech and in the comments that she made afterwards, it was kind of a family discussion of the cap issue and going with the blank cap uh, and believing that Roy would have done that. I think it speaks volumes to how much they as a family and how much Roy as a player and person valued his time here in Philadelphia. Um, While it was only a third of the time that they spent in Toronto, we made a big impression on him here and he really embraced um, the community, the team, the organization during his time here. And in fact, at the time of his death, he had uh, gone to Matt Klintak and had talked to uh, Klintak about a role with the Phillies. And he was helping out, uh, developing players, and he was going to be working more with the young pitchers each year at spring training. I was looking forward to that. He was coaching his kids, I believe, who were in high school at the time. His one son now... Uh, is in college, had been drafted. So, uh, you know, he certainly a, a great connection to Philadelphia, although we understand the bulk of his career was spent with the Blue Jays, and, and uh, we're happy to share him with Toronto, and we're happy that they're sharing him with us. Yes, indeed. I'm looking ahead to next year's class of uh, 2020 for the Hall of Fame. Of course, we have the guys that haven't made it yet, uh, the Clemens, Bonds, Ramirez, uh, those guys, they probably won't make it next year. But a couple new names for you. Derek Jeter, probably a instant Hall of Famer, I would have to think, uh, next year. Kurt Schilling, he's also on his eighth year of balloting, but he sort of leads all the players and and early voting uh, prediction, so to speak. I wonder if he'll get in next year. Well, to me, there's, to, to me, for me, there's, I would have already had them in, but I, for, from, if you look at uh, the players who are going to be eligible over the next few years, I think it's inevitable. And I think they're all deserving that Schilling, Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds will all be Hall of Famers. Now, I don't believe that it'll be next year. Uh, Schilling was just over, was just short of 61%. You need 75%. So he was the closest this year without getting in. Um, Clemens was at 59 and a half. Bonds was just over 59. Uh, I think that what you'll see is, I think Schilling has is getting. Schilling has a problem personality-wise. You know, he always had it here in Philadelphia. He's He rubs a lot of people the wrong way who are politically liberal and um, because he's an outspoken conservative. And uh, so, you know, he, he because of his outspoken political stances, um, his personality, if you will, his record stands on its own. Um, he, he is certainly a Hall of 
Famer if you just look at his record. But he 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 he's fighting that personality. So I, I but I think what'll happen is if you see where he is percentage wise and you realize the fact that he's still got a couple of years left, I think you'll see him go in in twenty twenty one. Clemens and Bonds will be they'll, they'll be tighter, but uh, the ballot is loosening up. After Jeter gets in, uh, it's going to get really loose, and I think Clemens and Bonds have a great shot of going in as well in 2021. The interesting name for me, and, and Jeter's a slam dunk. The interesting name for me is Larry Walker. I mean, Larry Walker is just shy of 55 percent this year. And if we were in the old format where it was 15 years that you were on the ballot after you retired, I wouldn't have any doubt that Walker would eventually get in. But now it's 10 years. So it's next year or bust for Larry Walker. And I, from what I, I've seen on the end, there are enough people that are in the media, that are in the game, who support Larry Walker's candidacy. I think you're going to see a major push for him next year in his final year on the ballot, sort of like you saw with Edgar Martinez this year. So it wouldn't surprise me uh, to see Larry Walker make it next year. The, the hill that he has to climb, nobody has ever gone from, from 54% to 75%. Nobody's ever made that kind of leap in their final year of eligibility, tw- more than 20%. Uh, that's a lot of votes to pick up. That's a lot of arms to twist, if you will. So um, Walker will be interesting to me. I, I don't think you're going to see Schilling, Clemens, or Bonds, but I do think you'll see Schilling, Clemens, and Bonds pick up support next year. Maybe get into that, uh, start approaching that mid 60s, you know, range. Maybe even uh, the upper 60s. But uh, and D- and Derek Jeter's a slam dunk. But Larry Walker, he's going to be the real interesting one for me. So we'll have to wait till next year, and it seems like the time's going faster and faster, so it won't be long till we'll be talking about the 2020 Hall of Fame election, and uh, it looks like the Phillies are almost ready to start. They're warming up there in Detroit, uh, going to get underway soon, but uh, we have about a week to go before the trade deadline, and one of the pitchers for the Tigers is uh, highly scouted tonight by the Phillies. Yeah, and uh, by the way, to, to get into that uh, Phillies first pitch, the first pitch now is scheduled for 7.45. We're, we're at 7.35, so fans got about 10 more minutes now. Of course, no, they're not listening to us live, but uh, we got about 10 more minutes anyway before the game starts, and uh, yeah. I don't have to cut you I don't have to cut you off just because it started. <laughs> but right. uh, We're talking about the, tonight's starting pitcher, Matt Boyd. Uh, Matthew Boyd is uh, – the guy that we mentioned earlier, a left-hander who could give the Phillies a hard time tonight. He's six and eight. He's got a four-one-three ERA, made twenty starts. Uh, he's struck out a hundred and sixty over hundred and twenty innings, which is a phenomenal rate. We're talking about twelve strikeouts per nine innings, and he only has walked twenty-four guys, Rich. So he he strikes out a ton of guys, and he doesn't walk anybody. Uh, he's given up fewer hits than innings pitched. So this is why. He's only 28 years old, you know, so this is why he's so coveted. He's left-handed. He's having this major breakout season. And even though this is a breakout season, he's been building towards this. Uh, He made 
20 starts in 2016. Uh, I'm sorry, he made 20 appearances, 18 starts. That was his first real full season in the bigs. 2017, he he makes 25 starts. In 2018, last year, he lowers his ERA in the American League by almost a run per game and makes 31 starts, only gives up 146 hits over 170 innings, strikes out 159. So he's been built towards this, and now you can see he's approaching his prime, and now he's really re- everything is starting to click and come together for him. And he's doing this on a horrendous last-place team. It's uh, reminiscent of, you know, what's not as good, obviously, but it's reminiscent of what Steve Carlton did in 1972 with the Phillies, you know, just outperforming his team, you know, by a mile. So Matthew, like I said, he's got three years of team control after this. Uh, he's only making this year $2.6 million. So the Tigers are getting a lot of production for a little bit of money out of him. And that's what's going to happen over couple of years he's not going to cost whoever acquires him he's not going to cost them in salary a lot uh, it'll be arbitration whatever arbitration ends up giving him so that'll get more and more expensive obviously but it won't be like a free agent contract so whoever wants to acquire Boyd is going to pay a premium if anybody can can meet that premium and i, I have a feeling somebody will he, he's probably the most attractive arm at this deadline when you combine all those things of you know, uh, his career building, he's been healthy, he's left-handed, he strikes out people, he doesn't walk people, uh, all that. He's under team control for three more years. All that's going to make him extremely attractive. And there are teams out there who are have good prospects in the minor leagues who it's going to take multiples of them. And I, I just think those, somebody, whether it's the Yankees or, or, or uh, the Braves, or somebody's going to step up and go after Matt Boyd uh, hard. Yeah, and as we were saying before the podcast started, you know, the Phillies haven't really shown themselves to be a first-place contending team, so they're not going after the Madison Bumgarners, the Zach Granke's. Although, if you listen to local Philadelphia sports radio from wherever you are, you would listen to some comments by some of the commentators, you know, why shouldn't the Phillies add a guy like Zach Granke or go for like a Madison Bumgarner if they can get him? But, uh, I think you're correct. The, uh, Phillies sort of aiming a little bit lower for this year, assuming that, you know, they're not in contention to win the NL East yet, but we've seen that change fast. The Phillies could get on a win streak and uh, put something together here. You never know. We've been waiting for it all season where Hoskins and Harper connect. Uh, in fact, I, I was checking the odds tonight, the baseball odds. The, it was, uh, I believe, 3,500, some oddball odd of 3,500 to 1 if Hoskins and Harper hit a home run in this game. So (laughs) everybody's waiting for it to happen. And uh, once it starts happening, I think the Phillies are going to be a team to contend with. Yeah, um, we've all been hoping for that. I'm certainly hoping for it. So, you know, we'll we'll see what happens, Rich. I think those two guys are certainly keys. And um, Gabe Kapler making a little adjustment to his lineup tonight, actually bumped Reese Hoskins up to the number two spot. 
and his batting order and Harper to three, hitting uh, JT Real Muto cleanup. So uh, we'll see how that works out with Hoskins two, Harper three, Real Muto four. Yes, indeed. So we have another week till the Phillies hit the trade deadline. We'll have to see what, if anything, the Phillies do. They acquired a couple pitchers that have done pretty good so far for them and you know, put them in a better spot, hopefully, and we'll have to see uh, what else lies ahead for this team. And I was checking the advanced uh, stats here for the prediction of wins, and the Phillies, believe it or not, are, are predicted to win 90 games this year with a 90% probability. So uh, that that's pretty good if the Phillies end up winning 90 games. I think we're going to see them in the playoffs. Um for sure. Uh, if it's going to be tough. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be <laughs> tough getting there, Rich. Um, you know, I, I would like to see them get to 90. I'd like to see them get to more than that. But, uh, you know, they're going to have to get going. You know, they, they've yeah. won three out of four, and they're going to have to do things like we, we discussed earlier. They're going to have to do things like sweep teams like the Detroit Tigers. So they got a long way to go. we got two months left in this season. Um yeah, so we'll see at this point, you know. Yeah, and that's a best-case scenario with a 90% confidence. Uh, the worst-case scenario, if you want to look at the other side of the coin, a 76-86 and 86 finish, which I don't think we'll see uh, from the Phils this time around. You never know, but we'll, we'll be on the positive side for now. Hope the Phillies uh, get some win streaks going and get that winning feeling back and uh, we'll start tonight in Detroit, hopefully. So, Matt, I know you have to go start tweeting this game. I appreciate you joining me on this uh, Phillies Talk podcast. Why don't you just tell the folks where they can find you on the web? Well, the best place is always at uh, Phillies Nation. So, mm-hmm. we're, 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 the website is at, I apologize, the website is philliesnation.com. And then, of course, there's the Twitter and Facebook feeds, both at Phillies Nation. So uh, stop by there. I'm writing there regularly. Got a couple pieces up today. Uh, we're doing a lot of um, both speculative and reporting on what's actually uh, been been coming out of the uh, reliable sources closer to the team as far as trade deadline chatter involving the Phillies. So uh, all kinds of stuff, game day pieces, anything you could want to know about the Phillies, we're covering it over there. Check it out over at philliesnation.com and you can find my stuff over at fightingphillies.com from the home of the Phillies Talk podcast for too many years now. I lost count, but uh, check it out. Stop by. Give it a follow on Twitter at fightingphillies is my handle. And uh, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you next show. Stay tuned for more Phillies baseball talk on the next Phillies Talk podcast.